Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, Matthew 22, just looking at the first 14 verses of that chapter. Now, if you're like me uh, with kids, kids ask some crazy questions every once in a while. I don't know if you can recall kids asking you questions, but I, you know, when kids ask the question, you know, like, where do babies come from? And you're like, oh, there's this bird that flies and drops them off, right, because you don't know how to answer that question. Okay, I don't know if you're with me yet. I, the greatest gift my dad ever gave me was that he allowed me to ask, any, any, ask anything. I could ask any question I wanted to. And over time, my dad would just, sometimes after I asked the question, he would just say, well, son, think. Just think for a second what the answer could be. A professor in seminary would say, don't ask any question you don't already know the answer to. I think that was his way to divert any questions from happening. But it causes me to think through, what, what, what could the answer be before I ask the question? And your kids may have asked this question just like my kids have asked this question. Maybe you have asked this question. You know, what is heaven like? What is heaven like? And what's amazing about this question is, is Jesus actually tells us what heaven is like. And of all the illustrations and all the pictures that Jesus could have used about heaven, Jesus uses the picture of a wedding. He, he says that it is like a wedding. In our text, Jesus has now telling the third parable after being asked the question, who do you think you are? He's been, he rode in on a donkey on the triumphal entry. He's he taught and turned over tables in the temple. He then went and cursed a fig tree, and then he's come back, and he's teaching in the temple, and he's questioned by the religious leaders, who and by what authority do you do the things that you're doing, by the way you're teaching? And Jesus then goes into three stories that we've been walking through to, to, to describe, mostly for the religious leaders to know that, that judgment is coming. That Jesus has his eyes squarely fixed on the religious leaders and the way they've operated. And now Jesus is coming to describe to them what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so today there's one point. One, you're welcome, all right? You know, one point. And, and we're going we're gonna to walk just through the story slowly. We're not going to read all of it at first. So one point. Here's, and I'm going to give it to you up front. So you may tune out the rest of the time. But if you just one point. The point of this parable is to show you that everyone is invited by the king, but not everyone who accepts the invitation enters in the kingdom of heaven. Everyone is invited by the king, but not everyone who accepts the invitation enters the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be Matthew 22, starting in verse 1. We're just going to read the first two verses, and then we'll stop. If you're there, will you say word? Once again, or once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables. Here we go. The kingdom of heaven, there it is, is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. There's two characters at the forefront. You have a king and you have a son. Jesus is using this imagery to describe two individuals. The first one he's describing in the king is 
God the Father. In our other stories, we have Jesus who has, or the Father who has two sons, and you've got the Father represented who has these two sons. He invites them to obey, and one says he'll do it, then doesn't. One says he won't do it, then he doesn't. So that's kind of the, the picture that Jesus is giving. In the, the next story, you've got a vineyard, and so the, the God the Father is represented as a landowner who owns everything and has given everything possible to the tenants of the vineyard to harvest a healthy feast of fruit, and so you've got this now third picture that Jesus is giving of the Father, and he's giving the image of a king. Whenever a king walks into the room, all the attention is on who? The king. I could not have providentially, I have no plan, I'm not that skilled to have planned that this weekend is the weekend of the coronation of a king, but not the king. Someone said, how come we don't have clothes like this with our, with our elected officials? I'm like, because of George Washington, that's why, right? We fought against all that tyranny. Religious liberty, that's why, right? But I, I mean, I don't know how you would feel if you had a crown on and two little, uh, whatever those are, on your lap, but I'd be a little bit more happy than the king looked, but I, that's just neither here nor there. But I couldn't have planned it, but all the attention this weekend in England was on the king. Everybody's chairs were focused on him. They even had like a little small dressing room for him. It was amazing if you got to watch it. But the king was at the top of the food chain. The king was the one who oversaw everything and owns everything. And so the father here is represented as the king. Now, there's also a son. And and who represents the son in Jesus' story? Jesus. So some of you kind of, it's Jesus, right? When in doubt, when it's a son, vote Jesus. So here you have these two characters, the king and the son, and, and, and just like the other parable where they, in, in the vineyard where they killed the son, so that was an image of Jesus being killed. So they have here the son being represented as the one whom the king is throwing a wedding for. Weddings. Weddings are fun. Jesus here is telling the story that the king is inviting people to a wedding. Now, if you're walking up to a wedding going, this is going to be the worst day ever, you probably don't want to be at that wedding. Weddings are full of eating and don't tell anybody, but there's dancing. Okay. I love going to weddings because I, I get that moment with each one of my daughters to dance with them, and I'm thinking in my mind, how much is this going to cost whenever they get married? I mean, that's, what's, I mean we're going to pass the plate again just to fund my three daughters, all right? I'm, I'm kidding. We wouldn't do that. But if you would like, no, I'm just, <laughs> There's usually good food, and there's stories told, and there's laughter, and there's just joy. The king is inviting them to a feast, not a funeral. The king is throwing a wedding banquet for his son. And look how they respond in verse 3. Look at verse 3. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet. They didn't want to come. Who is this first group of invitations going out to? It's gone out to those who have already RSVP'd. 
If you've ever had an event or a wedding, you send out invitations and you're like, hey, look, we're preparing food and we'd like to prepare the exact amount because Mooney's tight. And so we want you to tell us if you're coming and do you want uh, steak or do you want chicken or, do you, or you don't get a choice. We're just serving you whatever you get. But we want to know how many we should prepare for. So RSVP. And so all of these people RSVP to the wedding banquet. These are the individuals who got the invitation and said, oh yeah, party of the year, we're going to come. But when it came time for the wedding banquet, they didn't want to come. Time was their God. Convenience was their idol. They didn't want to be there. They wanted to do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. They didn't want any distractions. They had other plans. They, they had plans upon plans. They had backup plans. So those backup plans, they had places to go. But the king has invited them to come. And they're saying, we're just not that interested in coming. Thanks, but no thanks. Verse 4, he says, he sent them out again. He, he sent those servants out again to, hey, no, look, everything is ready. Look what he says. Tell those who are invited I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fatted cattle. They've all been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. He's, he's imploring them again. He's given them a chance. They've RSVP'd. They've declined to come. They're not interested. They've got other things to do. And now he's gone back to them to say, no, 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 tell them. Tell them that I have prepared everything. Everything is ready. Dinner is served. And guess what? It's ribeyes. This is why ranching is biblical. I'm, you think I'm, like I'm serious. You can tithe in meat. That's fine. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered. They have prepared a meal. It is not just like, oh, that's cute. Thanks for the snacks. It's no, no, no. There is a dinner. I've prepared it. There's steak. They're, they're, sure, there's salad, but we're, that's just to justify eating so much meat. We're here to gather. You don't have to lift a finger. I've taken care of everything. All the provisions are made of. I'm the king. I own it all. It's not going to cost you a dime. It's cost me immensely. I've not overly taxed you. I'm just telling you, it's all ready. Y'all come. Everything is ready. This shows you the character of, of God, doesn't it? Like he gets rejected, but he doesn't, he doesn't do it like I did in middle school where I got rejected. It's like I'm never talking to another girl ever again, right? I mean, I won't forget our first little dance. It was that little junior high formal, which is the most awkward thing ever. Thank you very much. And I go up to the little girl, and I go, hey, do you want to dance? And she says, no. And I went, then I shall go into the corner where I was, right? <laughs> and I will be a wallflower. Or the Sadie Hawkins where the girls get to ask the guys and you don't get asked and you're like, what's wrong with me? And then your dad says, a lot. <laughs> They've invited, this is the nature and character of God. He come, like I've taken care of everything. You don't have to lift a finger. Dinner is served, but look how they respond in verse five. But they paid no attention if I just ignore the invitation, that invitation will go away. At best, these individuals are apathetic to the invitation of, of the king. 
At best, they're apathetic to the invitation of the king. I do not believe that the greatest threat to Christianity is atheism. The greatest threat to Christianity is not atheism. The greatest threat to Christianity is apathy. Paying no attention. There's an article I, or a journal entry that I read this, this week and from a guy named Robert Bashirs, and, and he says this. He, he I'm going to summarize it because he uses words I can't pronounce, so here we go. But he said this little phrase about how apathy is destroying us, and he gives three reasons why we're apathetic. And I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing this, but he, reason one why there's apathy is that we find no reason to believe in Jesus. I don't need that in my life. I don't have the reason. There's no reason for that. I got other solutions to the problems of the day. I'm not going to pay attention to that. I gotta, I'm paying attention to other things. The second thing is there's, there's no motivation. Like they don't sense the urgency of eternity. So you just become, well, whatever, I'll, I'll get to it later. It's like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that, I'll get to that, I'll get to that. They're just not motivated to do it. Motivation's great, but it doesn't sustain you. Like, like, it's just the same way I'm, I'm motivated to, to exercise or motivated to work out or motivated to eat right or motivated to, to call my siblings and pray or motivate. Motivation is good, but it doesn't sustain you, but they're just not motivated to believe. But then third, 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 there's no desire. There's no desire. They pay no attention. He gives these three reasons for what's happening in the Western church. So we always think, it's, oh, it's out there, that's the problem. But no, 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 it's actually in here. We just pay no attention. If I ignore it, it'll go away. If I put it in the junk email, I just don't have to deal with it. If I have an automatic set setting to delete, I won't ever get that, that email. I mean, I'm just good. I block the number. They paid no attention. At best, they're apathetic. Watch. One went to his farm, and another went to his business. What's that telling us? They had their own interests. They, had, they found the job that they'd always dreamed of, and they were completely, or at least temporarily, satisfied in that job. They had found the job that they were passionate about. They were thrilled with it. It became their identity. They loved what they got to do, and you should love what you get to do. But they found more interest in working than they found in celebrating the king's son. It's getting that invitation and saying, yeah, I got work to do. I got, I got, I got better things to do. The other, the other person, they went to the farm. What does that mean? They, they enjoyed what they had at home. They had found Lesser loves more pleasurable than celebrating the king's son. Apathetic. Tuned out. Content in what they already had. Saying, I don't need you to provide me dinner. I'll provide me dinner. I'm going to my farm. I'm going to work. I got more important things to do. Be honest. How many of us so often find ourselves looking forward to the, quote, weekend away than we do to the gathering to celebrate the sun? It's not to cause you to feel guilty. It's just to say, how many of us? I'm not saying you. I'm saying us find more pleasure 
in satisfying ourselves temporarily, then we find comfort in the ultimate satisfaction, which is in Christ alone. And apathy doesn't stay apathy. Apathy turns to hostility. Look at this. While the rest, so someone to the farm, the rest, they seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. We talked about this last week with the Old Testament prophets, but I think this is also a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Jesus. In just a few days, they're going to seize him. They're going to mistreat him. And then what are they going to do? They're going to kill him. Apathy doesn't stay apathetic. Apathy generally shifts to hostility. They go at war. And the hostility in your life may not be external against the Lord, but the hostility is always present in your heart. Because anytime you and I sin against the character and holy nature of God, it's an act of declaration of war against Him. You say, I would never do that. Your sins put Jesus on the cross. Surely not mine. Your, if, if, if they weren't dealt with on the cross, then you would be in a lot of trouble. Your sins put Jesus on the cross. Jesus gladly bore them so that the wrath of God could be poured out on Jesus and not on you. And then when you confess your sin and repent and turn from your wicked ways, you then receive Jesus as your atoning sacrifice. They paid no attention. Here we go. Let's get real. They kept their eyes on their phones and not on the one who was sitting across from them. So what does the king do? The, the king... Um, The king's going to respond here in a second. But here's what happens. I think we struggle. I think we struggle with the call of God because we don't like what he's asking us to do. What am I supposed to do with my life? Here, here's, I just want to give you one, one practical way that you and I may be struggling with the call of God, but you just begin to implement today and see what happens. Look, look at Ephesians 4, 32. This is... You say, what am I supposed to do in my life? Here you go. Be kind and compassionate to who? To one another. Who's who's the one another? (laughs) Probably the person sitting next to you. Be kind. Be compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. Why? Just as God also forgave you in Christ. Hey, pastor, what am I supposed to do with my life? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you, or forgave you also in Christ. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Hey, be kind, be compassionate to one another. A lot of conflicts in your life would dissipate if you would be kind, be compassionate to one another, And also forgive one another just as God forgave you in Christ Jesus. But what do we do? Somebody, let's just get real, in this room offends us. 
We see them across the foyer and we do everything we can to walk the furthest spot possible away from them in the foyer. If there were a corner in our foyer, you'd hide in it. But there's no corners in our foyer. It's just a big circle. And what happens is, because you're not forgiving them, you're waiting for them to take the first move. That's what we do. I'm, well, until they come to me, I'm not going to forgive them. Yeah, because that's biblical. But we wait. But what happens is in church life, here's what we do. We say, because they've hurt me, I'm going to some other church because they won't treat me that way. And what's going to happen? You'll leave here. You'll go join another church. And it's only a matter of time. Somebody in that room is going to hurt your feelings. And you're going to go, well, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to leave this church. And I'm going to go somewhere else. And you're going to go to somewhere else. And guess what's going to happen? Somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Pastor, how do you know this? Oh, we know. <laughs> and if you would have just been kind and compassionate and forgive them, those conflicts... They'd go away. What is God's will for me? What am I supposed to do? This is what he's inviting us to. So well, how does the king respond back in verse 7? He, he becomes enraged, rightly so. He becomes enraged and he sent out his troops and killed those murderers and burned down the city. Now, there's some that would say this was a prophetic word about what was going to happen to the temple. That would happen some years later. But look at verse 8. Then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city and invite, here it is, everyone you find to the banquet. This is, the, again, the character of God. He doesn't want there not to be people there. He's inviting others to come. And so he says, hey, those that were first invited, and then we went out to them again, they, they, have, they have abandoned this. So now go out. So this is where it transitions to where now the Gentiles are being invited. Everybody can be invited. Y'all come. The, every, everybody can come. Remember, everyone is invited by the king to come to the banquet. In the next verse, Verse 10, so the servants went out in the roads and they gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. Now you hear this and you go, well, wait a minute. So are there evil people in the world and then there's good people in the world? Is that what he's saying? Because he invited everyone now and there's both evil and good. Remember the context. He's talking to religious leaders who believed in themselves that they were part of the good group because they did everything God had said for them to do. Israelites even believed it to such a degree that they were the chosen people. They were the people of God. And so God obviously was going to care for them and take care of them. They were the good people. And the evil people in that day were the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the lame, the blind. They were the ones that were evil in the eyes of the people. And so what Jesus is telling them, the king invites those that are lame and those that are blind and those that are, that are seen as evil and wicked in this culture. But he's also inviting those who are seen as the good. The, those that, are the, that, that have done all the things that are right. He's inviting both of them, trying to illustrate to them that the kingdom of heaven is now open for all kinds of people. 
It's the same way in the temple when he'd turn the tables over and in that court of Gentiles and then he invites the blind and the lame in. This is just Jesus illustrating this for the banquet. And the banquet was filled with guests. And look at verse 11. When the king came to see the guest, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. Now this is interesting. So he said to him, friend, how, how did you get in here without the wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Now, this is weird. So now Jesus is saying the king sees a man who presumably was invited to come to the wedding, and he was, who's come to the wedding. He's accepted the invitation. However, he's not dressed right. So is there a dress code? Now, some churches would say there is. But is there a dress code? I mean, it's like going to a young man who's, who's playing basketball and saying, hey, it's, it's time to go to prom. And he's like, now? I'm like, yeah, come on. And he's like, I'm in my gym shorts. Like, that's all right, come on. We got clothes for you. But that boy's saying, no, 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 I'm good. The man was speechless. So it becomes this really twist of going, man, does Jesus really care about what you're wearing? Yeah. Because watch this. Why is this man speechless? I think this man is speechless because he has no defense. He has no defense. See, it would be my estimation, and I'm going to show you in the book of Revelation my defense, but it would be my assumption here that this man was speechless because he had no defense for not receiving that which the king was offering. This man wanted all the benefits of the kingdom of heaven, but he did not want to honor and celebrate the son. He wanted all the benefits. He wanted to eat the meal. He wanted to dance. He wanted to laugh. He wanted to party. He wanted all the benefits that the king had to offer for the wedding of his son, but he did not want to bow his knee in celebration of the son. He wanted to go to heaven, but he didn't want to honor the Father who is the King of heaven. There's a dress code. Look what happens next in verse 13. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This sounds like extreme judgment. Shouldn't the father have been way more grace-filled to this man? Couldn't he have given him another chance? The reality is this man accepted the invitation, but he rejected the son. He wanted heaven. He wanted the kingdom. He wanted all the benefits of the kingdom, but he wanted none of what the king actually had to offer. He wanted to celebrate by eating, but he didn't want to celebrate the son. He wanted to go to heaven, but he didn't want to submit his life. He accepted the invitation, but he refused to celebrate. So if you're like me, you're saying, where can I get these clothes? Because <laughs> if you tell me where to get these clothes, I'm leaving now, and I'm going to go get them. Watch what, watch what he says in Revelation 19. Watch what 
John says in Revelation 19. Look at this, verse 6 through 8. I know it's a lot. It looks like a lot. Just work with me here. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, celebrate, party, and give him glory, because, look at this, the marriage... Of all the symbols that John could have seen in the heavens, he sees a marriage between who? The Lamb of the Lamb has come. Jesus, who's the Lamb, and his bride. Who's the bride? His church. And his bride has what done? Prepared herself. She was, here it is, given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of of the saints. Of all the pictures that John could have used, that Jesus could have used in this parable, he chooses to use a wedding scene, a marriage scene of all things to represent this moment in heaven. And here we see this marriage happening. This wedding is taking place. And how has the bride, how has the bride received the righteous things? It has been given to her. In Romans we see what happens. Your unrighteous deeds are transferred for his righteous deeds. It's not, okay, I need to do more righteous things than wicked things. What he's saying is the righteous acts have been done for you. They've been given to you, but you have to put them on. You can't show up and say, without him having put the garment on you. So what are the righteous acts of the saints? It's the receiving, by faith, his righteousness for you. This is what Paul tells us in Corinthians. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. He's indicating to us that you can churn up righteous acts that then stand before the Lord and say, look at all the things I've done for you. But he's already told us in Matthew. There are many that will come to him and say, Father, look at all these things I did in your name. And he's going to look at them and say, yeah, but I never knew you. You're doing the righteousness on your own account. But you've got to be given. You have to receive the garments. So I think when this man comes, he's been given dinner. He's been given uh, you know, a, a buffet. But he refuses the garments that are being offered by the king. This is why verse 14 says this. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Now, there's all kinds of ways that we could just have a big theological throwdown right now on this verse but i've i've got this conviction everybody's invited our job is to invite everybody we're just the servants in the story invite everybody but not everybody who accepts the invitation is actually part of the kingdom of heaven and we could debate about who's Chosen and who's not, who's predestined and who's not. But I've only had that argument with people who are already predestined. 
I've never had an argument with a lost person about whether they're chosen or not. Whether they've been invited and not chosen. They've never sat down with me and said, I, I really want to have this conversation with you. No, no. I've only had this debate about chosen and predestination with other believers. Lost people don't care. They don't want it. They're, they're denying the invitation. But Jesus is saying, hey, look, we're inviting everybody, but the way that you know that you're part of the chosen, have you received the righteousness of God that I'm giving to you? Have you put on the garments of his grace? Are you wearing Christ as your banner and as your shield? Weddings are so fun. I didn't quite enjoy as much, I think, my wedding because I, my mind was on so many other things. Weddings are a celebration. So three, just three things as we depart. Just, just, just stay with me real quick. Everybody's invited. That's the first thing you need to remember. Everybody's invited. You've got to accept the invitation. If you're here today, you're being invited. Just by being here, the Lord is inviting you. You've got to accept it. Second. Second. Secondly, you need to put on the garments. You need to receive his righteous deeds in your place. You want to have right standing before the Father? It's not because of all the things that you've done. It's because of what he's already accomplished for you. And then lastly, you need to celebrate the Son. Celebrate the Son. Jesus is not inviting you to a funeral. He's inviting you to a feast. It's why Sunday mornings, sure there's heavy things. Oh, it's a celebration at the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, we've come and Lord, there's a, a weight that comes. Lord, the invitation is out to those who would come and follow you. We're, we're asking, Lord, that you would just con, continue that work in their hearts and they would repent of their sin and believe. Lord, there's those in this room. They've accepted the invitation, but they've never received the, the righteousness of God because they, while they, they, they said yes, they, their hearts were being held on to so many lesser loves. May they receive the garments that you give. And then finally, Lord, may we celebrate in what Christ has done. You've been so good to us. May we not leave this place, Lord, until we've done our business with you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you're